focus primarily on the Old Testament reading. And what Ryan talked about extensively in the first half of his sermon, if you didn't hear it, was how important names are. How important our names are. Uh, he used examples from uh, the Old Testament reading uh, where uh, he talked about um, Isaac. Uh, his name translated into English means God laughed. That Abraham and Sarah, uh, when they heard at their age they were going to have children, uh, both of them, uh, Sarah tried to discreetly laugh and Abraham kind of laughed out loud and God calls them on it. He's like, why did you laugh? And so their son Isaac's name means one who laughed. He also noted in the Old Testament that Jacob um, had his name changed to Israel, which means uh, one who struggles or strives with God. You know, Jacob wrestled in the wilderness with God, and God let him win. He talked about uh, Simon's name uh, being changed in the New Testament by Jesus, face to face. Imagine that. Imagine Jesus here today looking at each one of us and saying something like, Lee, I'm going to change your name to whatever. So it was, I'm sure it was a powerful moment. Uh, but he changes his name uh, to Cephas, which we all know translates means the rock. And he later says, Peter, on you, I'm going to build my church. You're the rock. Um, names, Ryan said, are supremely important. And he brought uh, up, of course, the most important name of all, which was Yahweh. And he even pointed out that over our stained glass window up here on the top of our apps are the Hebrew consonants. Uh, for the name Yahweh. There are no vowels in Hebrew. So you've got four marks up there, and you read them from uh, your right to left. So that little thing looks like an apostrophe, and then the two things that look kind of like an H without the top on them, and then the one upside down L, those are four consonants, and they stand for the four Hebrew letters, Yah, He, Vah, He. There's no, there's no vowels in between. And what it means, what God's name means, essentially, is one who saves. One who saves. Eventually, Ryan said, if we stick with Scripture, we get to Jesus. And he was named, and I love the way Ryan said this, he was named Jesus, first of all, because God told Joseph that's what his name was going to be. And then he was named Jesus, we later understand, because his name means one who delivers or one who saves. And so Ryan pointed out how beautifully Scripture had gone from the reading that we heard this morning or this afternoon to Jesus, the one who saves. Well, I wanted to reflect on that. I want to reflect on the idea of God living into his name. It's a little presumptuous to stand up here and say, well, God, prove it. You know, how, how, how essentially do you save? How do you save? And I think our gospel reading presents it to us in a beautiful way. I asked Rob to read the whole thing. We didn't read the whole thing on Sunday, but a lot of us went to the Judith McNutt healing uh, workshop on Saturday down at St. Michael's Church and came back on fire. Rob is a friend of Judith's. Um, he's worked with her and been, been in her company uh, a lot. And so he knows how experientially exciting it can be, Laura was there, to be in the presence of almost 200 people in that old church and uh, to hear testimonies about healing. And that's what I believe this Wednesday service is supposed to become. When I got here, I, I, I said kind of matter-of-factly, well, how many people have been healed in our Wednesday service? And Ryan looked at me. We were just getting to know each other, and he couldn't tell if I was being serious or funny. He's like, what do you mean? I said, well, we advertise it as a healing service. I believe God heals today. How many people? Who's, who's the last person to give testimony about healing? And he said, I don't think we do that. I'm like, well, then we ought to rename it. Let's just call it Wednesday noon service and drop the whole healing thing. He's like, no, no. And so I talked to Mike Lumpkin, and um, there have been healings. Uh, you know, this year we've, we've had people who've come, whether it's emotional, physical, spiritual, people have been healed here. Uh, 
The, the most uh, prominent example for me are the two young girls who seem to be overcoming cancer. I mean, one of them had a, a deadly cancer diagnosis. The other one had one that they thought had a good chance of survival. But both of them seem to be working toward a bill of clean health. That's nothing short of miraculous. And we all believe God uses everything in this world, even modern medicine. So we give praise that God is healing. But how does he save? Um, this was the first scripture I ever preached on way, 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 way back in 2008. Someone like Rob, who was ordained, I was a layperson. They said, Gary, would you preach? And they had heard me give an Alpha talk. And I said, well, I guess, when or where? And they were like, no, on Sundays at all three services. And as a layperson, I went, oh, I don't do that. That's reserved for the clergy. And they said, well, no, you know, gifting, you don't have to be an ordained person to preach. Get up here and do it. And I was like, okay. So this was the scripture I got. And I'm going to bring up a couple things that I brought up back in 2008, but then I'm going to bring up one thing that God gave me uh, when I preached this at St. John's, John's Island, about 10 years later. And I think it points exactly to how God saves. Uh, the first thing I brought up when I preached it back in 2008 was the scene in the beginning is um, kind of dark. Uh, a group of people are surrounding Jesus, and they want to know, hey, Jesus, essentially, why are bad things happening to good people? Which is not a question we've lost in today's world. Um, why, Jesus, why? Why do bad things happen? Why didn't those Jewish people who were working on those construction projects avoid the calamity and death that they encountered? Why did those people who were in worship, think of the AME church in Charleston, why in the world, Jesus, would you, would God let somebody into that church to kill those people who were reading the Bible on a Wednesday night completely innocent? And not just plain old innocent, but innocent inside a church. I mean, it ought to be the safest place in the world, amen? That's what the, that's what the people are, around Jesus are asking him. And they're coming to him with this assumption that, well, the reason, we think, is because they're worse sinners than everybody else. They must have secrets or skeletons in their closet that we don't know about. Sure, they look nice on the outside, but I'll bet you, isn't that right, Jesus? Weren't they sinning worse than the rest of us? You know, those of us who are keeping kosher, those of us who are following the laws, those of us who are being good Jews, the reason those bad things have happened, Jesus, has got to be because they really don't, they really aren't as holy as they appear. And Jesus' answer to these two questions, what about the blood that Pilate mixed during a worship service, and what about this tower that seemed to have fallen over and killed people, is the same. It's the exact same wording. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he says again, verse 5, no, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Repent at its basic level means have your mind changed, metanoia. Fitz Allison actually takes it a step further, and he says repentance needs to go further than just having our minds changed. Repentance needs to be a heart change. And what Jesus is saying to these people is, unless you have your heart changed toward God and toward your fellow man in a way that will stop your worrying about what you can't control, in a way that will stop you questioning why bad things happen, to people, and why do girls get cancer in this broken world? Unless you have your mind changed, unless you understand differently who God is and what his plan is for your life, you're never going to find peace. What he wants to say to them is what matters most 
is what or who is the name of the thing or God that saves you from our ultimate destroyer, death. Dead forever, I'm talking about here. Dead forever. Jesus seems to be saying that this earthly death that we all fear doesn't have to have the last word on our lives. Jesus seems to promise that our lives can go on forever when we repent, when we trust, and when we believe. Well, believe what? What? What What, what do you want us to believe, Jesus? I think that's where the second part of the parable answers the question about God's salvific nature. God saves. You see, the second part, which doesn't seem very connected to these tragic stories in the beginning, is a parable about a person who owns some land with a vineyard on it and a hired hand. Uh, Spoiler alert, this is about God the Father and Jesus having a conversation. God the Father is the vineyard owner. He owns everything. Israel is often referred to as a vine. Um, So the vineyard owner is God in this parable, and the hired hand, the person tending the vineyard, is Jesus. Um, I want to read it again, and then I want to tell you about a sermon I just heard. And Jesus told this parable. A man, God, had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it, and he found none. And he said to the vine dresser, the hired hand, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I can find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And the hired hand answered, Sir... Let it alone one more year until I dig around it and I put manure on it. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. At Bishop Chip Edgar's uh, consecration, he had a friend of his, an African-American preacher from Columbia, St. John's Baptist Church, named the Reverend Dr. Jamie Graham. And Jamie got up in the pulpit, he's this handsome uh, African-American guy, and I'll tell you, the first four or five minutes were terrible. And anybody who's ever stood up to preach, we were all, I mean, we were praying hard. Because here was this African-American guy in a room full of 90-something percent white people, a few African-Americans here or there. Fred was there. And I know his nervousness or his anxiety level was high, and you could feel it. I mean, all of you who are good at something, if you're trying to teach somebody to do it, you always notice like their hands shake a little bit. Or they get, that's what everybody who'd ever preached, I think, was feeling for the Reverend Dr. Jamie Graham. And we were all like, please, Lord, let him relax. Please, Lord, let him feel the power of your spirit and let him deliver a word that'll change our lives. And boy, oh boy, did he. After about five minutes, he kind of caught traction. You know how cars spin their wheels and eventually they catch and go? That's what he did. And man, oh man, he preached for about 22 minutes which was astonishing. I thought it would go on much longer. But he preached this message, I'll never forget it, planted to produce. It was the same uh, parable he used. We are planted here in Georgetown in our families with our backs that hurt us sometimes, on oxygen sometimes, divorced sometimes, trying to finish a house and get a ministry started sometimes. We're planted here to produce something. The owner comes and says, hey, they've been here all this time. There's no fruit. Trees are supposed to bear fruit. Where is the fruit? And so he went on and on and on about planted to produce. I loved it because it pointed to this point I'm trying to make, and I'm closing. How does God save? How does God save? In this parable, we hear two things. Not only how he saves, but how he helps us produce. It's right there. The hired hand says to the father, uh, wait, please, 
and let me do something. Three years, did you notice? The length of Jesus' ministry. Most good theologians believe he started his ministry around age 30 and he was crucified around age 33. Three years, three, any time in the Bible is very important. The Trinity, which is up there on the stained glass window, three. Three years, no fruit. Jesus says, well, don't, don't cut it down yet. Let me do something. Let me dig around it. Let me stir it up. Let me till the soil. Let me get dirty working with this fig tree in our lives. And second, look at the word. I wish I could remember the page in the Bible it was on. But um, it's Luke. The word he uses is not fertilizer. It could be, if it was properly translated into fertilizer, the Byzantine Empire had fertilizer. But in this reading, what we hear is the word manure. Where is it? Thank you, Rob. There it is. So let it alone this year until I dig around it and put manure on it. Manure, right there. Everybody know what manure is? Right, thank you for smiling and laughing. Manure is feces, human and animal. A manure is made up almost entirely of, are you holding on? Dead, used blood cells. So what the hired hand is saying to the owner of the vineyard, thank you, is let me get in their lives. Let, give them a chance to get to know me. Give them a chance to hear what I say. Give them a chance to feel the healing power of me. And to seal the deal, let me pour my blood out for them. Because when they're confronted with this idea that I'm willing to give my blood for them, that I'm willing to die for them, that will cause them to produce fruit. That's how God saves. Jesus is looking at the Father and saying something, and the Father knows this. I can save them. I can give them my blood. And when they believe that, they will be saved. Saved for eternity, yes, but also saved for today. Because when we believe that we are planted to produce, brothers and sisters, no matter what's going on in our lives, we will radiate the joy of the Lord. It's why Emily's always smiling. So, today, each one of us, if you're not feeling particularly stirred up, if you, don't, if you can't feel Jesus digging in your garden, ask yourselves, what are you spending your time doing? Are you, as Mike Lumpkin often says, putting yourselves, like today, in places where God typically is always digging the church, a Bible study, uh, serving others in the community? Or are we busying ourselves with things that distract us from his presence and his purpose? If we want to re-engage the Lord, if we want to be stirred up again, then we need to take a second and just meditate on this idea that we are saved not by sinning less. It's good to be obedient. It's good to be honest. It's good to try to be good followers of Yahweh. But that is not what will save us. Or worrying about the things that we can't change. Or who has it better than us. But simply, as Jesus tells us today in the Gospel, just simply to repent, to allow our minds to be changed by the simple truth that Jesus, the hired hand, offers us eternal life by shedding his blood and dying for us. He's our only way through this life, brothers and sisters, and into the next one, Jesus and Jesus alone. So the reason I invited you to move up is I want to sing, I know that's weird, on Wednesdays, 
just two, or actually three verses of this song that you all know, but I printed it off anyway. Because I wanted us to leave today with only one thing in mind. That the hired hand said, no, don't cut it down. Leave it alone for one more year. Let me dig around it and let me put manure, my blood, on it. And then let's see if it bears fruit. So I want to sing verse 1. I want to sing the refrain. I want to sing verse 6. I made way too many copies. I want to sing verse 6. And then I want to sing the refrain again. So verse 1, the refrain, verse 6, and the refrain. I know this won't be easy to sing a cappella, but we've got a couple good singers here. So you, you want to start us, Jane? I'll start us. Ready? And stand if it's easier to sing standing. And if it's easy, not easy to stand, say seated. Here we go. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow no other fount i know nothing but the blood of jesus verse six glory glory this i sing nothing but the blood of jesus all my praise for this i bring Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Refrain. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus.